Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, I am Pastor Chris, great to be with you guys. Thank you so much uh, as always for tuning in and being a part of our robust, engaging online community and uh, joining all these folks with us today, welcome. Um, First of all, let me just begin by saying, kind of making some uh, apologies on the front end of my message today. So at the beginning of this past week, really kind of, I kind of noticed it over the week last weekend, but I didn't really... It didn't come to full fruition. I got a little sick, and um, I ended up losing my voice uh, this past week. So I went to the doctor. Everything's good. But um, so I've been trying to, you know, not talk. So there's no Ric Flair yell this morning. Let's put it that way. And um, I'm pretty sure the, uh, the sound team is really, I mean, you might actually not be hearing my voice. It might all just be lip sync from somebody else. So, um, but anyway, so just bear with me, and um, I'm hoping that we can make through uh, this message in here, because uh, I got one more to go uh, for the 1115 service. So, uh, last week, we did introduce the theme of the book of Romans as we begin this new series, and we're, we're talking about uh, the power of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And uh, today, Paul is going to tell us why that's so necessary. In other words, why the gospel is actually the only thing that can fix the mess that we find ourselves in. You know, in other words, if the gospel is the good news, then what's the bad news, okay? Romans 1, 18, uh, Romans 1, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, especially if you were here last week, whoa, 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 hold up, you know, Paul. Wait a second here. Why, uh, why the abrupt change of, of subject? I mean, you know, why would Paul begin this letter, you know, talking about the good news of the gospel and uh, God's amazing redemptive plan? And then all of a sudden, you know, in verse 18, he switches and starts talking about God's anger. I mean, Paul, things were going so great. You were so positive. Why the need, you know, to be so negative? Well, The answer is, before you and I can fully understand God's love, I mean the scope of it, his love, we've got to understand, we've got to come to terms with his wrath. Before we can understand God's love, we have to fully understand his wrath. Now let me me explain it like this. How many of you have ever visited a jeweler uh, to shop for a diamond? Especially, you know, the guys and gals, you know, like maybe before engagement, you remember those days, right? Well, without fail, that jeweler will lay the diamond that you're interested in against what when you look at it? He'll pull it out and then he'll lay it against what? A piece of black velvet, right? Or some sort of black fabric. Now, why? Why, why does the jeweler do that? Well, because he uses it to help demonstrate, by contrast, the brilliance, the beauty of this diamond, of the stone. Or, suppose you go to the doctor tomorrow, and uh, before he examines you, he walks in and he shouts, I've got great news, you're going to live. Now, that that might not mean a whole lot to you because the truth is, at that point, you didn't really know any different, right? But let's suppose that you had been to that same doctor two weeks earlier, 
and he had diagnosed you with some sort of you know, terminal disease. Well, now all of a sudden, this new diagnosis has a much deeper meaning and significance, right? Because his good news is set against the backdrop of the bad news. Well, Paul knows that the good news of the gospel of Jesus that we talked about last week and we're gonna continue to talk about throughout this whole series really has no meaning, no impact until it's set against the backdrop of being under God's wrath and his judgment because of our sin. In other words, think about it like this. You can't know how good you got it until you know how bad you had it, right? And so, beginning in verse 18, Paul begins to lay out a case that all of humanity, all of mankind is guilty of sinning against a holy God. In fact, listen to verse 18 again. This time, this is the New International Version. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, let's be honest, that, that's not one of those verses that gives you a lot of warm fuzzies, is it? Right? I mean, you're not going to see the wrath of God is being revealed as the Bible verse of the day in your inbox tomorrow morning, are you? It's not going to make the cut of uh, repostable memes on Facebook and Instagram. It's not, right? I mean, in fact, if I were to announce ahead of time that I'm going to be preaching on the wrath of God today, we could probably hold the service in my living room, okay, <laughs> by the number of people that are probably, you know, going to show up. And yet, it is an important part of the full nature of God. Now, you might be tempted to push back this morning a little bit and say, okay, but come on now, Pastor Chris, we live in the New Testament, right? You know, New Testament times, the New Covenant, we don't have to worry about, you know, the wrath of God and the judgment of God anymore. That's Old Testament stuff. That's where you're wrong. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Man, that's a great promise. That is one of those, you know, verses of the day, repostable memes. We love it. But we kind of gloss over the perishing part of that verse, don't we? Without faith in Christ, we're all what? Perishing. In fact, I want you to notice that that promise, John 3.16, is followed by a warning in verse 36 of that same chapter. Listen to this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's what? What's it say? God's wrath remains on them. So the God that we serve under the new covenant is the same God that was in the old covenant who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their immorality, right? I mean, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that. There, there is no such thing as the redeeming love of God apart from the fact that our God is holy and he hates sin. You know, we can't fully understand the depth of God's love until it's set against the backdrop of our predicament of being under God's wrath and judgment because of our sin. And so any, anytime someone talks about, you know, uh, God and his nature and they ignore that, they ignore this complete picture that, you know, of God's wrath because of our sin, that's, a, that's an incomplete picture. Now, this next 
passage of Scripture, I, I think it answers kind of an age-old question that a lot of people struggle with today, maybe even some of you. What about people who have never heard? What about people who have never heard? It goes something like this. Okay, Pastor Chris, you know, I get it. I can, I can understand. I can see how, you know, God's wrath might remain on people who have rejected him, especially people, you know, in America or similar places where, you know, there's a church on every corner. You know, we have unlimited access to the Bible. But what about people who have never heard about Jesus? What about people who are born and raised and live and die in a place where they don't have access to a Bible? They can't pull the Bible up on their phone. They've never heard about God. They've never heard the gospel. What about them? Well, let's go back to our passage, verses 19 and 20. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So, listen to this, they have no excuse for not knowing God. I mean, it says it right there. No one is without excuse. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God one day and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. You never told me about you. I never knew about you. Well, there are two universal truths that continually bear witness to God, creation and our conscience. Creation and conscience. Now, creation takes the stand, so to speak, and basically says to everybody throughout history, everybody on the face of the earth, hey, listen, if you paid attention, I was telling you your entire life that there is a supreme being. Creation is constantly shouting to the world, look, look around you. You know somebody's behind all of this. There is a God. Every sunset has God's signature on it. Every flower is God's reality in blossom. Every mountain is God's reality piled up high. Every river is God's reality in motion. God's been speaking to you your entire life. So we have the outward witness of creation. But there's also an inner witness, our, the inward witness of our conscience. Look at Romans chapter two with me. Romans two, verses 14 and 15. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even, listen to this, without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. What's he saying? Before the Bible was written, before the Ten Commandments, people instinctively knew, we instinctively know that there is something wrong with killing somebody. We know instinctively there's something wrong with you know, taking somebody else's stuff. We know that it's wrong to lie. There is something about all of that that causes an inner sense of, of moral outrage. So let me ask you this, where did that come from? You know, where do we get this universal sense of, of right and wrong? From God. You see, the wrong question really is, how will God judge the person who's never heard? Because it's not up to you. It's not up to me, it's up to God. You know, nobody's gonna be able to stand before him on judgment day and say, whoa, 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 I never knew, I didn't have a Bible, no one ever told me, because God's gonna say, no, you did know. 
You did. You felt it, you sensed it, but you denied it. You fought against it. You chose to go your own way. Now, you can go your own way and depart from me. You see, God has promised in creation and in our conscience that if a person is willing to respond to the truth, that more truth will be given. And somehow, some way, Jesus is going to be revealed so that they can be saved through their faith. The real question, the right question is this. How is God going to deal with somebody who's heard many times? How will God judge you? You see, forget about the pagan in a foreign land just for a moment. How how is God going to deal with people right here, right now, a land, a community where there's a church on every corner? We have immediate access to the Bible. I mean, you could literally turn on your phone, your computer. You can hear the good news of the gospel at any time, any place, anywhere. How will God judge you? The year was 1888. Uh, in a little city in the northwest corner of Alabama. And uh, a beautiful, healthy little girl was born to a a sweet family. And this uh, precious little girl contracted a terrible disease. And infection left her totally blind and totally deaf. And because of that, and because it happened at such a young age, she couldn't speak. So began her, her challenge. Now, in the 19th century, when that happened, people typically in a situation similar to that would have been put away in a state home or even worse, an insane asylum. But this little girl's parents wanted something better for her. And so they hired a school teacher to come and instruct her. Now, because Braille had not spread around the globe at this point, there was really no way for blind people to communicate, blind and deaf people. So they devised a little sign language to be put in the girl's hand so that she could understand it. Now that same girl later became uh, highly respected, very intelligent, wrote many books and toured the country. But when she was in her late teens, her parents, who were also committed believers, committed Christians, they they wanted a preacher to come and tell her the good news of the gospel, to tell her about Jesus. So they brought in uh, a local preacher into their home, and through this teacher signing in her hand, he told her about God, and he told her about Jesus. Now, when he finished, it is said that Helen Keller smiled a brilliant smile, and she signed back, oh, I know him. I've known him for many years. I just didn't know his name. Listen, anybody, anywhere who follows the light that they have can and will find the truth. Everybody's without excuse. But here's the bad news. Collectively and individually, we chose to reject God to go our own way. And that's what Paul explains in verses 21 and 23. Listen to this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks, even give him thanks. 
And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you and I were created to glorify and to worship God. We have been architecturally designed and put together by God to worship him. And so the supreme sin of fallen humanity is to withhold that worship and that glory, and then to assign it, to give it to something else, and worst of all, to give it to oneself. The Bible calls that idolatry, idolatry. Now, any idol, and and, an idol is anything that takes God's place in your life. Because I think sometimes we read that passage and we think, oh, well, you know, we've not, I've not created a statue, Pastor Chris, of, a, you know, of an animal or the sun, and you know, I don't bow down and worship you know, some statue. But listen to 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep yourself away from idols. And again, we think, oh, I got no problem with that. But listen to it in the New Living Translation. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. That's idolatry. We all struggle with it. And so what Paul is saying here in Romans is that man that we have removed from our consciousness the glory of an incorruptible and holy God. Although we see that witness in creation and we sense that witness within our own conscience, we have suppressed it and rejected it. And by doing so, we place ourselves on the throne. Idolatry. We are now the authority over our lives, not God and not his word. So what's the result of that, of that rejection, of that idolatry? Well, Paul goes on to explain it in verses 24 through 32. Many people, many theologians, many people call this passage an example of the passive wrath of God. Now I'm gonna read it, and I wanna ask you to do two things. Number one, I wanna ask you to, to, to do your best to put aside what this world tells you, what culture tells you, what culture is shouting. And I simply want you to allow the holy word of God to speak for itself. Can you do that? Push culture aside, push social media aside, and let God's, works, God's word speak for itself. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. 
and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And listen to this. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. I'm not sure that there is another passage of Scripture that describes more accurately the world in which we live. Now, go back to the beginning of our passage today that we first talked about, and I do want you to notice kind of the the downward spiral here. Although God has revealed himself to man, verses 19 and 20, we have rejected God, verse 21. And then we rationalized our our rejection of God, verse 22. And then we created substitute gods of our own making, verse 23. And so, beginning here in verse 24, Paul tells us that because we chose to abandon God, God abandoned us. In fact, I want you to notice that three separate times in this passage, verse 24, 26, 28, Paul uses the phrase, God gave them over. God turned them over. God gave them over. Think about it this way. Let's pretend that the, uh, the earth rebels against the sun, okay? And basically says, I'm sick of you being the center of the universe, the center of my world. In fact, you know, it's always got to be, everybody's always got to be spinning around you. You, 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 you. It's all about you. I'm going to put myself at the center. Well, we know the sun is 30,000 times bigger than the earth. And because of that, has the gravitational capacity to keep everything aligned, everything in orbit. The earth does not. So, If the earth rebels against the sun and says, from now on, I will be the center, the sun might just easily say, okay. And then the solar system would begin to unravel. Not because the sun did something directly against the earth, but because it simply let the earth what? Like Burger King, what? Have its own way. That's what God did with us. And we see that unfolding in the world today. He lets us have our way. And so he withdraws his restraining and protective hand, thus allowing mankind to experience the full impact of all the destructive consequences of our sin. He lets us go on in our blindness and we just plunge deeper and deeper into depravity. 
And it says here in the word that we become so enamored with immorality, so bent on pursuing uh, evil sexually that we begin serving our own sexual lust and desires instead of the God who created it and gave it to us. In verse 27, in describing homosexual behavior, Paul uses the word shameful. Some translations use the word indecent. But what I want you to hear loud and clear is that in the original language, it's the word from which we get our English word schematic. Schematic. In other words, Paul is saying that the world simply is not operating from the schematic, from the original blueprints and plan given by a holy God. And the problem is once we take the creator and his design out of the picture, what happens? We become our own God. We create our own order, our own pattern, and our own schematic. And listen to me. Whether it's, it's any sin mentioned here in this passage, homosexuality, sexual immorality, anger, drunkenness, gossip, pride, left to ourselves, you know what we eventually do when we're on the throne? We usually say something like this to God. Hey, I can't help it. You know, I was born this way. It's, it's your fault, God. It's God's fault. I can't change. You know, God understands. He accepts me just the way I am. I want you to hear this with all the love and, and grace I can muster. Listen, all of us, we have all inherited a sinful nature at birth, and guess what? Each one of us, we, will, we were all born with a propensity to sin. In fact, I will go a step further and say we were all born with a propensity toward maybe a certain type of sin. But at some point, you know, to justify our sin on those grounds is simply to be woefully deceived, and then, more importantly, to deny the power of the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentions that very thing in another long list of sinful behavior. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. And there it is again, right? Don't fool yourself. Regardless of what this world says, regardless of what you, know, you, you think, listen to this. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's the bad news. You know, again, you can't fully understand how good we have it until you understand how bad we had it. You know, how, how good we've got it until you understand how bad we had it. And again, that's the bad news. But let me tell you something. I, personally, Pastor Chris, I love what comes next. Because after that long list, Paul says this, and that's what some of you were. And that's what some of you were. Man, I don't, you know, if you've uh, read through the Bible with us this year, you're reading through the Bible, you remember the church of 1 Corinthians, right? I mean, 1 and 2 Corinthians, the Corinth church. I mean, this was some type of church. I mean, they were the church, I'll call them of the, the has-beens, the once-wers. Don't you see? That's you. That's me. That's us. You know, we were them. We were that church. You know, we were once idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and fornicators and thieves and gossips and alcoholics. But look at verse 11. But you were washed. 
you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's the power of the gospel. That's the gospel. You see, the gospel shows us that even though, listen to me, all of us, all of us have turned away from God and gone our own way, that God kept coming after you, that he kept pursuing you, even after you rejected him. And when it came, when it came time for him to pour out his judgment and his wrath, listen to this, he first poured it out on his one and only son, Jesus, and he will release you he will release you and set you free from your punishment and his wrath if, if you repent of your sin and you accept and trust in his one and only son, Jesus. That's the gospel. And hear this loud and clear. I can't speak for every Christian in the world. I can't. I can only speak for me and I like to think that I can speak for this church, that I can, in some, in some way, I can speak for Coastal. No matter your struggle, we love you and we care about you. No matter your propensity toward any particular sin, we love you and we care about you. And God has put a love in our church and in my life for struggling brothers and sisters. And let me tell you this, we're just not that fussy about whatever it is that you happen to struggle with. If you struggle with materialism, we'll, we'll help you. Addiction, we got your back. Same-sex attraction, we'll walk you through it. If not, listen to me, if not, are you saying that you will stand beside someone, you'll walk with them through it, you'll be their brother, their sister, you'll, you'll walk with them through this problem and this problem and this problem, but if they happen to have that problem, if they struggle with homosexuality or addiction or pornography, well, they're on their own. Listen, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Are you? Are we? Now, our response as a church has always got to be one, listen to this, of truth and love. Truth and acceptance. And if you come to Coastal, you're gonna hear both. You will. Now sometimes, let me just tell you, and be honest with you, Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's difficult. Most of the times it's very messy. But I know that it's always worth the risk. How do I know that? Because Jesus took that risk on me. He took that risk for you. No matter the sin, no matter what you struggle with, our God loves you and so do we. And you'll always be welcome here at Coastal. You see, in this room, in this room, there is nobody who is better than anybody else. We are just a colossal collection of moral failures set free and forgiven by the blood 
of Jesus. Listen, I don't know, this might scare you away, but you need to hear this. You are surrounded by people. You ready for this? You are surrounded by people, some of whom just this past week probably blew it in some area. In the area of honesty, who gave in to greed. Maybe they lusted. Maybe they were involved in pornography. Maybe they were self-righteous. They committed adultery. They had premarital sex. They got drunk. But you need to know something about us. We are committed to confessing our sin to a holy and a loving God. Repenting of our sin and striving to resist temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit and the help and encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And today, I invite all of you to link arms with us and to join us. God loves you, yes, just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so do we. So do we. That's the power of the gospel. Respond to it today. Respond to it today. Sure, the nature of God, he is holy, he has wrath and anger because of our rebellion and our sin. But he chose to first display that anger and wrath on his one and only son, Jesus. And if you'll simply repent and come home, he'll welcome you with open arms. And so will we. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, there's no doubt we look around at the world today and it's so evident that you have simply allowed us to go our own way and we are we're dealing with the results of that now in the, in the times and the culture in which we live. God, we, we have no excuse. No one is without excuse because of our own conscience, because of creation. And Father, today... I, I say as the pastor of Coastal that, that, God, we're willing to reach out in love and in truth to everyone. And we open our doors wide open and we're, we're here to proclaim the transformative power of the gospel to anyone who, will, anyone who will come. And maybe you're here today within earshot of this message here in the room or watching this online and you thought that your sin is too bad and you're too ashamed and too, too guilty to ever come home. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Our God loves you and he's waiting on you to come home. Pray something like this in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I have sinned. I have rebelled. I have gone my own way. I admit it. I confess it. And today, God, I, I, I turn around, 
I do believe. I believe that Jesus was your son. I believe that he took the punishment for me and my sin, that he went to that cross for me. He rose from the dead, and he is alive. And today I put my trust and my faith in him and him alone. And now, God, I simply want to become how you see me now today, perfect in Christ. And when I do fall, when I do blow it, God, I will come to you, I'll admit it, I'll, I'll turn from my sin. I just want to become day by day more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.